and welcome to Jay's Talk Plus, going from 10 to noon on this wonderful Thursday with Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman, Jeff Fadzapati, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick on as well. Filling in for Blake Murphy this whole week, and it's gone by really quickly, but we are on the latter half of the week now as we kind of leave the All-Star break behind and look toward the second half of the season. It's it's been three days in a flash, Julia. I know it's it's it has been um, extremely fun, and that you that's usually what happens when you're having fun, right, Ben? The, yeah. the time flies by. It's uh, very very uh, curious, really, that you know we've been working as much as we have, but it's just plain fun, and so uh, it really does not feel like uh, time has passed at all. I will say this: my morning got off to a weird start, right before I even left home. I spilled coffee on myself, so oh, that's it's not a classic me move. Uh, you know what? That's not a great, um, a great start. But I chose to overlook it. No problem, right? You you sort of move on. Get here. I drove here for the first time today. Just yeah. got my license, by the way. Oh, my congratulations! Yeah, there a, you go. It, it just happened, so I was very excited to drive here. Well, the parking lot gave me some issues. You had right? a bit of a war. Couldn't print my ticket. <laughs> and then and when I finally parked my car, the elevator wouldn't work. So I had to come up the stairs. And then I got lost. And now I'm pretty sure I won't be able to find my car on the way out. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be here with you. And I'm very, very uh, excited to forget all about that for the next two hours. Yeah, I was I was in a lot of traffic on the Gardener thinking that I had, had the tough commute <laughs> in, but I, I did not. I did not. Definitely uh, you win the cake there. And, and hey, if you're done your commute and you have a sec to reach to your phone, make sure to text us today, 590-590, with all your thoughts headed into the second half. I guess before we get into the specifics, we've spent a lot of time talking All-Star break, a lot of time talking the first half of the season. How excited are you for this home stretch coming up, final kind of two and a half months of the season? Yeah, it'll be it'll be an important one for the Blue Jays. There's certainly a lot riding on this, uh, I believe. You know, we all saw the uh, amazing push uh, in the off season that was made to get this team from being good to great, which is something that we talked a lot about before the season started and there were stretches especially in April where it seemed like this team was hitting its stride if you will and and was sort of playing the brand of baseball that we expected it to after the post or the offseason moves pardon me so you have a guy like Dalton Varsho coming in and playing amazing defense with the power potential in his bat you have Kevin Kiermeyer manning center field pretty much every day despite the turf despite his uh, his issues with injury in the past and really shining at the plate too putting some career numbers all of those additional pieces, Brandon Belt certainly got off to a, a rough start, but turned it around amazingly. You have Chris Bassett, who, yes, has had his struggles too, but when he's on, he is absolutely among the, the best starting pitchers in the game. But all, all of those pieces have yet to click at once, I think, Ben, and that is why the second half is so important. The Blue Jays should not be in the position where they are. I understand that they are over 500, and they are right now, I believe, in third place in the division. But there's such a long way to go and a lot of ground to uh, sort of make up for here because of those struggles in the first half. And this is very much a do-or-die situation, right? It's a make-or-break moment for this team, for this core that is now entering the, or, you know, in the thick of the window of contention here. Yeah, it is a uh, a big second half coming up for the Blue Jays. Like you mentioned, they are 
you know, nine games up. They are third in the division. They, they're in the second wild card spot tied with Houston right now. But it still feels like there's more to strive for for the Blue Jays. And we want to hear your thoughts on the second half coming up again. 590-590 is the number to text. And I guess let's just start with the division right now. The Blue Jays, like you said, are seven games back right now of right. the Tampa Bay Rays. Does the division feel out of reach to you? I think a lot of times in the first half it did, but as, you know, the Rays lost a couple games, especially for the Orioles made it a lot closer. Does the division feel out of reach for you in terms of the Blue Jays' chances? I don't think so. I think that that is the sort of the beauty of baseball in that it happens every day, and a team like the Rays can start the year in a record-breaking win pace and then lose six or seven in a row to uh, to wrap up the, the first half, right? I, I believe they ended in a win, actually, but they had a stretch there where they lost a handful of games in a row, and then you, you look at that and you say, okay, well, what does that mean? It just means that that's baseball. Baseball is a streaky sport. We all know that. So that means that is good news for Toronto, right? That is good news for the Blue Jays because if a team like the Rays that doesn't have necessarily the star power, it's certainly a good team and a playoff team. Absolutely. But if they can do it, the Blue Jays can too because the talent is there. All the pieces are there. It's all about clicking. And when they do, we are sort of going to see that big run like we saw from the Rays at the beginning of the year, like we saw from the Yankees last year who also started out – Uh, kind of whatever, and then they go on an 11-game winning streak and make the playoffs. So this is uh, sort of the nature of the game. The AL East is always going to be more difficult, or, you know, historically it has been an extremely competitive division. And so you can't really uh, count anyone out. Uh, It will be difficult because the Orioles have not had necessarily – Uh, huge stretches of inconsistency. There are holes and there are certain things that we see in Baltimore that uh, you can point to as flaws and say, okay, this is probably going to come back to bite them or, you know, come October, this could be an issue. The rotation is a big one. But the fact of the matter is that if the Blue Jays can do it, so can the Orioles. And if the Rays can find consistency, things are going to get even more interesting. And the Yankees are the Yankees. You can never really count them out. The Blue Jays have a chance. It's going to be extremely difficult. Yeah, I think if the Blue Jays can do it, the Yankees can do it. They're only eight games back. And I, and I think, frankly, while I'm not saying it's likely, in theory, I think the Red Sox can do it. They're only nine games back. Like, they did not play a first half that was that far off of the Yankees or Blue Jays either. I, I do think there's some encouraging signs, though. You mentioned the Rays. So they lost six in a row and then finally won one game in that last week of the first half. Every team is playing a more balanced schedule this year, and there have been a lot of games played. I'm not trying to take away from the Rays, but they did play, per baseball reference, the weakest schedule of any of the teams so far, and they have the second toughest remaining schedule in all of Major League Baseball. Blue Jays rank seventh in that metric, and all the ALA East teams are top 10 because they have to play each other, and that's a big factor, I think, in that. But I, I know that a lot of the times, I think, for Blue Jays fans, it feels like a step back from last year sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I went to look at, at what was going on coming out of the first half last year. The Blue Jays were third in the division. Mm-hmm. They were 50 and 43. So same number of wins, more losses. They were 14 and a half back of the Yankees. Like that was, you know, seven games and 14 and a half games. 
are different planets, essentially. Certainly. And still, I believe there was a point in early to mid-September where because the Yankees struggled so much down the stretch, the Blue Jays pulled maybe three games back, three or four games back of that point while they were playing really well, but also just things were kind of normalizing in the Bronx. So I, I, I do think that a lot of things have to go right. I think that it's still a long shot, like you mentioned. One more thing I wanted to mention with the Rays, too, is they've had so many injuries on the pitching side. Yes. And they've been able to cover that up. And yeah. there may not be an organization more prepared year in, year out to cover stuff up than the Rays. That's very true. But at a, at a certain point, when you're missing four premier starters, because, I, I mean, maybe not four. We don't know what's going on with Tyler Glass now, but he had to leave his last start, and he's coming off a major injury that's going to catch up to you, I think, more and more as the season goes on because more and more fatigue builds up either in the pen when starters aren't going as deep or in the rotation when they're sometimes maybe skipping a bullpen day to keep the four guys on schedule like the yeah. Blue Jays had to the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think that, you know, obviously these teams are playing each other less this year, but there's still a ton of games within the division. For sure. Right? And, and I do think that, Therein sort of lies the uh, the key for whatever team is going to come out uh, the winner of this division. The Blue Jays are where they are in large part because they have played poorly against division rivals. Absolutely. Right? They are where they are because they have so far been swept by the Red Sox, who... Twice. <laughs> the Red Sox is they only played the Blue Jays like they would they would win this division yeah. this year, which is pretty wild. And it was kind of the the opposite last year. The Blue Jays sort of uh, built uh, their uh, their winning record uh, against Boston. I right? think they were 16-3 and three against the there Red Sox go, last year. There you go, including that uh, historically. Uh, yeah, 28-5. to five. It was amazing, right? <laughs> uh, and yeah, if we could. I was actually it's like a doing a fever dream at this point. I know. And 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 uh show and I were doing Jay's talk after that. Um and I started watching the game at home and I said, "You know what? Like I I'll leave at like the fourth inning whatever. I'll get there. It'll be fine." Uh and I got here it was still like the same inning <laughs> that, I, that I left in. And and that was uh oh man, I I will always remember that day because it was it was so incredible and it really put the Blue Jays in a good position to make their run and to reach the 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 wild card round that is what they need to do again i I do believe that that is the key here is finding a way to beat these division opponents because they are winnable games the blue jays have seen success against the rays for example this year uh they have had games against the yankees in which uh they've played extremely well there was drama for sure earlier in the year at rogers center and whatnot with the aaron judge home run and was he uh did he know it was coming or whatever but these are all things that should sort of add to the adrenaline and add to the weight of the moment and that could be a major piece in where the blue jays end up at the end of the regular season here it is really odd show ali pointed this out to me and he'll he'll join us tomorrow that'll be a lot of fun but the blue jays you know they're seven and 20 against the division it's terrible there's really no other way around it they're 6-8 and eight against the Yankees and Rays. The Rays obviously being the best team in the division, and the Yankees for a lot of the season so far were ahead of the Blue Jays. They're 1-12 and 12 against the Orioles and the Red Sox. And it just, it, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of sense behind it, but it's something that they simply have to turn around at a certain point because, like you said, they can't, they can't afford to do this. Still, nearly a third of your schedule 
is against the division. And they're in the wild card races because the division is so good with the rest of the division for the majority of the time. I mean, Houston hangs around, Seattle hangs around, and we'll get into some of that coming up a little bit later in this, you know, before we hit this first break. But it it is essential whether you're trying to win the division or secure a wild card spot Mm -hmm. to win these games because if they were a little bit better against the Orioles, they would be fighting, I think, more for second in the division right now. Not even, like, miles better, but instead of being one in five, if they were even two and four, yep. that changes a lot. And then on the Red Sox side, the Red Sox probably wouldn't be in the race right now if the Blue Jays were even three and four against them. That would bump the Red Sox to below 500, push them out of the way, and obviously propel the Blue Jays up a little bit as well. It's It, it does feel like some sort of, on the Red Sox side, like, evening out by the baseball gods. I don't know if the Blue Jays yeah. were actually better than the Red Sox by enough to go 16-3 and three last mm-hmm. year. And certainly, I don't think the Red Sox, who have a worse record than the Blue Jays, are better than them to the point to go 7-0. and oh, But they need to at least play like 500 ball coming up against the division teams and, and probably should play even better than that. Let me ask you this then, because this is a clearly a division that is beyond maybe certainly beyond the rest of baseball, right? I, I can, I think we can say that this is right now the most competitive division in MLB. For sure. That said, do you believe that there is a top team? And I want to open it to the, the entire American League uh, in a moment. But first, I wanted to ask you, in this division, in the AL East, do you think there is a clear favor to run away with the division here? I don't think so anymore. And and I think the Rays were the obvious choice for most of the first half. But not only is Baltimore only two games back, it's because of games in hand. They're 54 and 35. The Rays are 58 and 35. And it's not a guarantee that Baltimore goes out and wins four in a row. But at the rate they're winning games right now, they should win at least two to three of those games and really put themselves in contention. I mean, I have the concerns on the pitching side for the Orioles like you do. But due to injuries, I have some similar concerns for the Rays right now. And neither team, you know, the Rays have more experience, but neither team, I would say, is tremendously experienced in its current roster construction right now. A lot of young guys on this really good Rays team. So I don't have a favorite headed into the second half to win the AL East. For me, it's split like 49%, 49% Rays and Orioles and 2% the field. That's fair. Uh How about you? Yeah, I would agree. I, I, you know, I do believe that when the Rays went on that uh, huge winning streak to start the year, there was a lot of panic in and around sort of people that don't root for the Rays. For sure. Which is most people. Um, <laughs> but the the truth is that, you know, it, it sort of created this early narrative of this is the team to beat or uh, this is insurmountable. They're too good there's no way to surpass it. Let's just vie for a wild card spot. I didn't believe that in any way, shape, or form, even when they were in that in that winning streak. And that is uh, even more true now. I would obviously give the Orioles an edge before the Blue Jays to catch up on that division. I don't think the Yankees are going to win the division this year. But saying that there is a clear favorite is... Um, I think a bit of a stretch right now. It's 
again, the beauty of baseball. It's it's what makes this sport so awesome. You really, really have in a division like the AL East a chance to make up for past mistakes every single day. And, and that is what teams like the Blue Jays must focus on right now because they could still, honestly, win the division. And now I would like to open it sort of to the, the AL in general, uh, Ben. We see the Astros kind of, uh, you know, struggling a little bit to find their footing. It, it's happened before. We've, Absolutely. We've seen it before 100%. But, you know, the, the Rangers come in and kind of surprisingly so, uh, are so dominant. For I, sure. I think we all expected them to take a step forward, but what we're seeing from the Rangers is pretty unbelievable right now. Yeah, I think that they have offensive improvements in almost every spot in the lineup. Yeah. And that I don't think we all saw coming. I think we all saw an addition of pitching and thought that, okay, they would pitch it a lot better than they have in the past. Although, again, no one expected... Nathan Uvalde to mm-hmm. necessarily be, you know, right in the Cy Young race. And whether it's Josh Young, who could win AL Rookie of the Year, or Nathaniel Lowe, who was good last year but is even better. Jonah Heim was good last year. He looks even better. Adolis Garcia is somehow finding a way to reach a new plateau. Corey Seager looks like he's finding a way to ne- reach a new plateau. They didn't have Marcus Simeon in his true form for all of last year. He looks like he's pretty much back. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever replicate the Blue Jay numbers, but pretty much right back to where you expect Marcus Simeon to be. They are an interesting team to contend. Like, I think it's a three-team race for who's the best in the American League. I I think it's got to be Texas, Baltimore, and Tampa Bay. I I really think if the Houston Astros were fully healthy, you know, they are missing Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, Lance McCullers Jr., just out of the rotation. Michael Brantley also, all, all four of those guys on the 60. They've had injuries to Altuve. They've had injuries to Jordan. They've had injuries to Fromber. Like, if they they could be as injured as anyone. If they weren't, I think that they still might be the best team in the American League. But I kind of feel the same way about who's the best in the AL as I do feel about the AL East. It's hard for me to really choose right now between Rays, Orioles, and Rangers. I think I give the Rays and Orioles a slight edge. Really? I think so. You know, they both have better records, and they do play in tougher divisions. The AL West is a formidable division Mm -hmm. for sure, with Houston being there and Seattle being there. The Angels are fading, but they're still only a game back. But these teams all also get to play the Oakland Athletics 13 times a year, which is a a beautiful luxury, I think, to have. (laughs) So I probably put the Rangers just behind, but... I don't know. I I don't feel that passionate about it. Like I could put them all on equal footing and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, that's that's fair. I would give I would agree with you that the Rays are top two, but I would give that other spot to the Rangers rather than the Orioles because I do believe that there's something to be said about experience and about having done this multiple times year after year and, and knowing what it takes. And I don't think that the Orioles are there just yet. Yeah. With this squad. I do think they're getting there. We see the amazing strides that the young guys are are having here, and, and it's fascinating to watch. It's so much fun, really, to watch the Baltimore Orioles and to cover them, by the way. It's a, it's a fun team to cover as well. But there is something to be said about having a Marcus Simeon, a Corey Seager, a Nathan Yavaldi sort of lead the way. And let's not forget that the Rangers are doing all of this without Jacob deGrom. Right? Yeah. And yeah. that is uh, that is also, I think, something that we it's easy to forget because Degrom has been injured 
a lot. Far too much, unfortunately. But when he's on, it's uh, it, he's a game changer, right? And so when we're talking about significant injuries, the fact that the, the Rangers rotation has weathered that so well, it uh, it has really put them a little bit, given them a little bit of an advantage to me. To, to, to it, it was impressive to sort of watch them navigate that and, and figure out what was um, what was going to be done. So I would I would say Rays Rangers. You say Rays Orioles. Yeah. And it really just goes to show how much of a of an intriguing, fascinating second half this is going to be. It's really anyone's game. Yeah, the the Rangers, I mean, Dane Dunning has been big for them outside of Uvalde, and John Gray is kind of, you know, there was always like the John Gray's the the great peripheral numbers guy, the movement's crazy. The Blue Jays got to him, but that's been pretty few and far between for a guy like John Gray. He's been really good this year. Your, your point on the Orioles, I went to look. I'm looking, you know, Fangraphs kind of has like their roster resource depth chart type yeah. page. So I just went to look at the starting nine they put out there. And I'm looking through it to find how many, if any, players have appeared in a playoff game for them. And it's Gunnar Henderson, no. Adley Rutschman, no. Anthony Santander, no. Ryan O'Hearn, no. Austin Hayes, no. I don't believe Cedric Mullins, no. He was drafted in 15. He wouldn't have been on the Orioles team that made the playoffs. Yeah. Colton Kowser, no. Jordan Westberg, no. Adam Frazier, yes. And uh, Blue Jays fans don't remember that fondly. <laughs> and then to the bench, James McCann has. Uh, Mountcastle has not. I don't believe Mateo has appeared in a playoff game, although he's played for some playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Arias, no. Aaron Hicks, who has been massive for them. Yes. Uh, he has. But they are a, a very inexperienced team. And right now, they're in the top wild card spot. We talked about the Blue Jays trying to win the division, but... It is interesting. We're going into year two of the new playoff format, the three wild cards, six team per league format. And we saw kind of dueling scenarios work out. A lot of people were like, hey, they shouldn't put a, a six team in there. There won't be, you know, any competition. They'll get knocked out early. Or, hey, we need more teams in. It'll be more competitive. On the AL side, the number one seed Astros swept their way through the playoffs and dominantly made it to the World Series. On the NL side, the five and six seeds, the Padres and the Phillies, met in the NLCS with the Phillies, the six seed and worst record team in the National League playoff picture, making the World Series. With the new playoff format, is it okay to just strive, you know, I guess in more of a Blue Jays context, mm-hmm. to just get in and try and make some noise once you get in there? Is getting in really much more meaningful than, than vying for a top spot or a divisional spot? I would say so, yes. I'm not entirely confident, as you may notice yeah. <laughs> by the, the tone of my voice, but I do think that there is something to be said, especially now with the expanded playoff format, uh, about just getting in. Because when in the playoffs, you can tighten your starting rotation, you can really turn to those complementary pieces uh, pitching-wise as perhaps um, guys out of the bullpen, bulk uh, situations in which obviously you're going to still need them to be on. A guy like Yusei Kikuchi needs to be on if he's going to take on that sort of role, for example, for the Blue Jays. But it allows you to sort of manage your resources a little bit differently and employ your best team and employ your best chances to succeed every night, which is something that due to the nature of 162 games, you can't really do in the regular season. But once all of that is a little bit uh, 
tighter, let's say, in October, then it allows you to play the matchups a little bit more and uh, come out on top. Uh, and we saw and we heard John Schneider talk a lot about that in the offseason or in the preseason saying, listen, like this is a, a much more versatile team. There's a lot that I can do off the bench, right? So if, a, say, a left uh, pitcher comes in, you have options in the bench or vice versa to uh, to, to play really those uh, those matchups and have a better chance to succeed at bat to at bat. So that is what I think the, uh, the beauty of getting in mm-hmm. is. And we don't even have to, you know, focus solely on the Phillies or solely on the expanded playoff format. Let's talk about the Washington nationals, right? For sure. In 2019, who snuck their way into the, into the postseason. It was uh, really phenomenal to see the turnaround and they won because, you know, you are sort of looking at deploying your best uh, assets at certain stages, and then it becomes a lot about strategy. So, yeah, not the end of the world if the Blue Jays can't win uh, the division. It will make, obviously, life harder, as we saw last year against the Seattle Mariners. But this is also a more versatile team and a more talented team that can, I believe, sort of get over that uh, that. I don't know, rough, uh, rough memory. <laughs> yeah, even, you know, if you go back to some Blue Jays history, they were a wild card team in 2016. And although they hosted that wild card game, if I'm not mistaken, I think they just had the same record as the Orioles, but won the tiebreaker at 89 and 73. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, 590-590, the number to text. And we have some text we'll get to in a sec. I, I'm not sure that it's the goal you want to strive for starting the season. But... Once you get, if you can get through the wild card round, it's pretty similar after that. And and the worst division winner has to play in that wild card round as well, which will be a central team. And Certainly. I, and I think as, you know, we get closer and closer to the to the playoffs, then people will talk about like, you know, if you're the second wild card, do you want to win more to try and get the first wild card spot? Or do you maybe want to lose a little bit more and play the Minnesota Twins or, or the Cleveland Guardians or, or someone like that? In the first round, let's get to some texts on the note of uh, where the Jays are shooting for, what what they could do in the division. We have one from Paul in South Frontenac. Uh, he believes the Rays will regress, but not enough to lose the division. So I guess kind of similar to the Yankees last year. He says the Jays can catch Baltimore and should, but his fear is that the offense picks up while the pitching slows down. He's confident in their defense. He thinks they'll hold on to a wild card berth and then get hot. I mean, there was a lot of stress put on the pitching staff in the first half, so could definitely see something like that where even if, you know, just baseball evening out the offense starts to get a little bit better, but the pitching is fatigued. Eddie and Fort Erie believes the division is out of reach considering how poorly they've played against division rivals, which is a good point. He thinks that they'll just stick in the wild card chase. Uh, They do already own the season series against the Astros, which Eddie mentions, which is important. The Blue Jays right now tied with the Astros for the second slash third wild card spots. And that takes me kind of to the, to the final thing I wanted to ask you here. The Blue Jays right now in wildcard spot number two. So two teams would have to pass them to knock them out of positioning. Of the teams, you know, kind of from Houston behind them, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mariners, the Angels, and right now the Twins, but you can kind of just say Twins slash Guardians. Who, if you're on the Blue Jays side, are you most concerned about having a really strong second half here and maybe chasing the Blue Jays, pushing them a bit from behind. 
you have to be concerned about the Yankees. And I know no one wants to hear that. I know it's kind of a boring answer, but you have to, right? They just fired their hitting coach, hired someone else mid-season. I forget who we were talking to earlier in the week. Maybe it was Bob Nightingale who said the, the Yankees don't do that very often. Yes. Yeah, right? he did mention that. And it's it's just not, or maybe it was Castrovince. Uh, apologies, guys. Anyway, we had a lot of guests over this week. <laughs> we got like some great said, ones coming up today. John Paul Morosi, Dan Schulman. Join the show today. Sorry, continue. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Always always here for a Dan Schulman shout out. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so you have to wonder, you know, what that move is going to do sort of to shake up the team. This is a team that still has a lot of talent, and they have also dealt with their fair share of injuries and issues. You have to get worried about them. For a team like that to go on, say, a 10, 11, 12 uh, game win streak and make things more interesting than they are, it's relatively easy for the Yankees to do that, especially playing at Yankee Stadium, a, a very, very much hitter-friendly ballpark. So, yes, this kind of it's kind of a boring answer. I want to say the Angels just because I would really love to see Shohei Otani play in October in, a, in an Angels jersey, and that's yes. uh, the romantic in me for sure, but it would be cool. It would be nice to uh, sort of wrap up this first chapter of his career. I'm not saying that he's leaving the Angels, but, you know, once he hits free agency, I think it's a, it's a pretty big marker uh, in, in, a, in a player's career, especially a player of that caliber. And, you know, just to see Mike Trout play in the playoffs right again. Only one time we've ever seen Mike Trout play in a playoff game or games. Uh, I'll, I'll pick a little bit yeah. down the board because, you know, I, I do think the Yankees have to be concerned. Aaron Judge's injury, though, is, you know, interesting. Like, yes. I, I feel for Sean Casey. I hope that, you know, as their hitting coach, he has, like, potions to magically heal Aaron Judge because that's that's the main thing that's probably missing from this offense. But uh, I'll go with the Seattle Mariners, who uh, obviously I think Blue Jays fans don't have fond memories of from last year. And it has been a bit of a similar story for them, not necessarily the same individuals, like a struggling year from Julio Rodriguez, but they really kind of sleepwalked through the first half last year, only made a push kind of right before the deadline. I think they were six games up when they traded for Luis Castillo, and then they were off and running in the second half and and really ended up taking that momentum into the playoffs and defeated the Blue Jays in rather tragic fashion for Toronto. They've won seven of the last ten headed into the break. They just got over 500 for you know, one of the few times they've been there all season. And it just feels like sometimes there's some magical stuff going on in Seattle that can be hard to contend with. It's interesting because the narratives have sort of repeated themselves a little bit uh, in the AL West as a whole. So you have the Mariners starting off kind of shaky, unable to hit the baseball and score runs. And this is exactly what happened this year again, right? Shaky start, a lot of offensive issues, and now they're starting to turn it around. At the same time, you have the Astros, who maybe didn't deal with this many injuries last year, but who also at this point were underperforming to what they're capable of and to what we expect out of the Houston Astros. You have the Angels getting off to a hot start and 
looking like they're going to make this even more interesting. And finally, this is the year that Shohei Otani gets to play in the postseason and Mike Trout will return. Like They threw a no-hitter last year in the first half. Yeah, Reed right? Demers. There you go, with uh, Anthony Rendon hitting a home run left-handed. Which is the craziest play I've ever seen. I know. But we, have, we got to dedicate a whole other show to <laughs> just that play. <laughs> and then you know, things fall by the wayside. I, I believe that this is a, a different team from last year for sure for the Angels, but you can sort of see the the similarities in history repeating itself a little bit. And if that continues to be the trend, then you can expect um, a better second half from teams like the Houston Astros and the Mariners. And to your point, it might make things a little bit more difficult for a team like the Blue Jays. We are going to talk about all the teams around Major League Baseball as we really get set for this second half. We have John Paul Morosi of MLB Network. You might have heard him on NHL Network as well. Coming up on the other side, it's Jays Talk Plus going until noon today. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz. Stick with us on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus here on this wonderful Thursday. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz, Jeff Azapati, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes, filling in for Blake Murphy this week. We got some great guests today, and we're about to be joined by another one. John Paul Morosi is joining us to discuss everything around Major League Baseball as we head into an exciting first half. You also might see him on some of your NHL network coverage as well. I believe we have him now. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. We were doing a little bit of this yesterday, so I want to get your take. The NHL skills competition has a lot of fun things going on. Is there something like that that you think we could incorporate into the MLB All-Star break going mm. forward, a, a skills competition-like event? Uh, good morning, Ben and Julia. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great uh, that's a great idea. Uh, I, I do love the NHL skills competition. I think with with MLB, we have it to an extent already with uh, with the home run derby. Uh, I, while I would love to see maybe the the fastest infield arm competition, I, I'm not so sure if the GMs and the managers around baseball would would love to hear that we're going to have a TV show where we, we ask their prized infielders to throw the ball as hard as they can across the diamond because of the injury risk. I'm not sure that they would want to uh, have guys throw out their arms in, a, in an exhibition in that, in that fashion. Um, so there are things I would like to see. Uh, maybe a, a – uh, I, I guess I'll say this. Maybe a less of an injury risk version of that – would be, uh, of course, the old scouting, uh, the scouting mechanism of the 60-yard dash. Let's let's put uh, Randy Arozarena out there and have him uh, try to compete against some of the other speedsters around baseball. Uh, it just, I love the showmanship that we get from Randy, and so in any circumstance we could get. I mean, who wouldn't love to see? I realize he wasn't part of the game last night, but let's let's hope he's there next year. Uh, 
Ellie De La Cruz against a Rosarena in like a, a straight speed for speed competition. Uh, we do have some of the the speed data thanks to Statcast, but but Ben and Julia, I would love to see uh, just a, a straight ahead race between a Rosarena and Ellie De La Cruz. That would be something, John. Thank you so much for joining us. Nice talking to you again. Uh, I'm wondering for you. This is, a, you know, obviously we, we saw a lot of defense uh, maybe at the All-Star game, some, some very nice catches, very good pitching uh, on both sides here. And then the Derby was, you know, the, 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 for Blue Jays fans specifically, it was so um, historic and, and, and really important. What was your favorite part about this All-Star break specifically? And what is usually your favorite part of a, about the All-Star break? Yeah, Julia, great question. I, I think that for me, just the, the amount of young talent that we had a chance to see, and, and Vladdy is still part of that, by the way. It's, it's, we feel, and obviously we have a lot of conversations uh, through the, the Toronto baseball community about how, uh, just how impressive Vladdy is. And it was interesting on Sunday when the Jays were here in Detroit, um, I was watching the game with my dad, and he pointed out that Vladdy is still the youngest player on the Jays roster, <laughs> which we have to remind ourselves, Vladdy is still a young player. He is, he is still part of the next generation. He's part of this generation, but he's part of the next generation too. And so I think to, to watch him and to see all the young talent there and, and Rosarena, the, the show that he put on, I, and I think too – my favorite part of the game broadcast was was all of the in-game interviews with the mic'd up players. And, and uh, I, I am a self-described TV nerd. I love this stuff. Uh, it's, it's part of what I do. And so to see what Fox was able to do and have the players mic'd up in-game and even the moment where Nate Valdi was facing Corbin Carroll and, and you have a, a conversation going on in real time, that, that takes a lot of skill on the part of the production team, but also a willingness on the part of the players to put themselves out there. And, and we all know being live on the air is not the easiest thing, but it's really not the easiest thing when you're trying to either deliver or hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. So uh, really impressive, and kudos to the players for being willing to do that. And I, I was just really impressed and happy to see the, the personalities of, of, of more of these players coming through. And I think finally uh, for Elias Diaz to be the, the MVP was, was amazing. And I think we saw his emotion in, in the interviews after the game, talking about his mother, of course, he represented Columbia at, at the World Baseball Classic this year in honor of his late father. So uh, even though maybe when we all tuned in, uh, we weren't necessarily thinking about when Elias Diaz's big moment was going to come, it came. And it was the big, it was the big moment of the whole, whole sport and, and the whole evening there at the All-Star Game. And I, I do love it when the unexpected visits us as well. Yeah, on the personality side, I mean, the, the Blue Jays fans, I think, have Vladdy's performance as 1A in the Home Run Derby, and then Bo Bichette's on-camera performance trying, yeah. to, trying to translate and do all that as 1B. You mentioned the World Baseball Classic, and I saw some people floating an idea online that I'd love your thoughts on. The All-Star Game has been American League versus National League for a long time, obviously, but some people were thinking about the possibility of taking it back to kind of the old futures game format where it would be usa versus world how would you feel about something like that where maybe the all-star game wasn't about the leagues playing each other but now that the leagues are, are pretty similar there's the universal dh and all that maybe something where it was the united states guys shooting up against everyone else 
I love it, Ben, and it's it's been something that I have advocated for in the past as well, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, and, and now we have fortunately gotten to a point where where we had a lot of our best American players playing in the WBC. Really, all the best position players were there, and, and certainly pitching was a little hit or miss, but that's always been the case uh, with this particular uh, event. I, I, I love when you have more opportunities for the best players in the game, and I realize this is from the American perspective, to put on the U.S. jersey, it just makes it more of a continual thought process. Who's on Team USA? And we can talk in hockey about you know, who's on Team Canada, who's on Team USA. We love talking about that. That's one, of, that's one thing that uh, on, a, on a slow day uh, for hockey radio in August, you can always have that conversation. And the, the, the phone lines will light up. And I think that we want to get to a spot in baseball where that's true as well, where we can have a debate about who the starting outfielder for the U.S. should be. And there's one way to do that right now, and that is to play it in the all-star game that way. And, and I think, Ben, we see in the course of a home run derby, it, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't necessarily built this way, but you saw the, the Cuban players supporting each other. And, and we, we can always tell when you're around, uh, whether it's the Caribbean Series, the World Baseball Classic, when you have a chance to absorb the Latin American baseball culture, it is so Beautiful, and um, I've been lucky in my life to to cover a Caribbean series in Puerto Rico. I've covered baseball in Cuba. I've been to Mexico for baseball. When you cover the game globally, it, it just gives you such a perspective on on the players, and you understand the players in greater depth once you've spent time in their culture and around them. And the way that you sort of, even within the borders of the U.S., get a chance to experience international baseball is to create the international team. And so just think how much fun it was to watch the home run derby. And, and when you project that international mindset onto an all-star game, and, and let's think about how cool it would be for the international team to have, to have Shohei and Vladdy and Rosarena and Garcia. You go down the list of how exciting that would be. Uh, sign me up. I, I, I would love that, Ben and Julia, to see that be the, 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 format, the, the, the format of the, of the tournament. And I guess, to, to your point, it would be interesting, and Julia, maybe you'd be able to lend some insight. I mean, Bo, of course, played in the World Baseball Classic qualifier for Brazil. Would he be, would he be on the world team or the U.S. team? He could play for both, right? Certainly. It's, uh, it raises some questions and some interesting storylines as well that are right now sort of uh, very much unexpected, right, John? It, it, it would add uh, a, a whole new element here to the to the week itself and uh, and to the game. And I can and I can tell you that in Canada, maybe that's something that Canadians will get behind too, right? There is very much this right. mentality here that the Blue Jays are Canada's team and it's kind of Canada versus the world, right? Canada versus right. Uh, everyone else type thing. And so that uh, that could add uh, to the allure, let's say, of the all-star break as well. And speaking a little bit about the Blue Jays, John, uh, obviously maybe not the, the first half that they expected here, but uh, they get a clean slate starting tomorrow. What have you seen sort of from the Blue Jays and speaking specifically about the trade deadline, what kinds of players do you think that this team is going to be targeting this year? Yeah, Julia, it's a, it's a great question. And certainly they're one of the teams that I'm looking at the most right now, because when we frame the deadline every year and talk about it, 
the, the most important thing to establish is what what does each team believe its window is and and what how much pressure does this team face to win right now and i've believed all season long there is no more of a win now team in baseball than the Toronto Blue Jays. And and when you are in win-now mode, I'm not quite sure we'll see uh, a trade deadline on the order of 2015 and, and that frenetic uh, overnight activity from Alex Anthopoulos. But it, it is, when you talk about where Vlad and Bo are and how close they're approaching the free agency, there's not that many opportunities left to win with this court. And we know uh, how special both Vlad and Bo have been to this generation of, of fans and, and the team it's time. It's time for them to, to win and go all in. I, I think that the return of Manoa, and, and I think the good thing is we'll see a bit more by the time the, the month is over. If you've got Manoa at at least a stable third or fourth starter position, you've got the expected return of Hunjin Ryu at some point. Kikuchi, I think, has been a a solid fifth starter. Let's be honest about what you expect from a fifth starter. It's more often than not usually in the five-inning range and, and giving you a chance to win. And Kikuchi, more often than not, has done that. So perhaps they're at a spot where the, the rotation is at more of a stable position than it's been for a while. And then that allows you to focus on adding one more reliever, I would say the Washington Nationals are a popular team to talk with. Uh, Kyle Finnegan there in, in the bullpen with the Nats. I think he is someone that's going to have a lot of interest. He can close games if needed, certainly. Uh, let's hope that the Romano injury that we saw this week at the All-Star game was uh, was a minimal one and is not going to keep him out for very long. But I, I think it also serves a reminder that the Jays probably need to add one more arm back there, even if Romano is totally healthy, just as insurance for the for the stretch run. And I think offensively, uh, whether it's second base, whether it's one more outfield bat, I do think that this is a team that could uh, benefit from getting one more bat. But in general, this team's in pretty good shape. And, and I think they're, they're pitching, uh, when you look at the way Berrios has pitched, Gossman as well, uh, they, they have, I believe, more than enough pitching to make the playoffs. Even despite a tough first half, they are in pretty good shape. And I think that with the right bullpen move, the right bat adding in, I don't think they're going to trade for Juan Soto. I'll I'll make that clear. (laughs) Uh, I'm not even sure that Juan Soto is going to be available. But uh, this is a team that, that when you consider where they're at, the farm system hasn't been uh, the most impressive in baseball this year. So I think that that's, that could hamper their ability to make some moves. But the, the names that, I, that I'm talking about here, Finnegan, uh, Corey Dickerson, Ildemar Vargas is a really versatile bat for the Nationals. Those types of players should not cost you multiple high-end prospects, and, and I think that the Jays uh, can, can improve around the margins of this team while their success remains, as it always has been, contingent on Vlad and Bo and Matt Chapman and, and the main guys who are in the lineup every day. Dickerson, an interesting name, because he's been a Blue Jay before as well and had right. a pretty good stint. With Toronto, I'm going to throw some names out and you can tell me I'm being ridiculous if you want, but I was listening to you guys do some rumor mill yesterday on the drive down for our show. And I just brought two names as like unrealistic kind of Hail Marys for the Blue Jays. We were looking at all stars that maybe they could look at if they put all their eggs in that basket. It is Josh Hader, 
or, you know, a move that probably involves one of the Blue Jays catchers the other way, Salvador Perez, like, am I a lunatic? And I'm okay. I'm okay if you say I am. No, I mean, not a lunatic, certainly. First of all, I want to establish that, Ben. Uh, but uh, I would say, first and foremost, on Josh Hader, I, he would be a really interesting arm. I think that of the two names you mentioned, Hader is more realistic than Perez. I think Sal, I'm not, I'm not convinced that he's going to get moved at all. He still has two years and, and about $44 million left on his deal after the season. That's a lot of money, and especially when you consider this to be a relative uh, position of strength for the Jays, Traditionally, and I realize they've traded away Moreno since last year, uh, but Jansen and Kirk, it's still a solid tandem. It's maybe not as impressive as you would have thought it was going to be um, uh, last year, but still good enough. And and Kirk, to me, is a, is a part of the future uh, of this team. And I think this year was just kind of got off to a bit of a slower start for him. Obviously, uh, welcomed a, a baby, which is most important in, in the world right there to, to spend your time doing that as, as a father. So I, I think it just took him a little bit extra time right now. And, and I, overall, I would say that the Jays are pretty content with what they've got behind the plate. I, I do think, though, in the bullpen, Josh Hader, if the Padres sell, it's still a big if, but if they move uh, any of their rental arms like Hader, like Blake Snell, I, I do think Hader is uh, a realistic arm for the Jays to consider if, and again, if he's available. John, you mentioned that the Blue Jays are in good shape here, and uh, my, our last question, question for you here is uh, teams, there are certain teams that are looking to take a leap here and uh, perform better than they did uh, in the first half. Who do you think, which team do you think is boys to make the biggest second-half leap this season? Well, I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners, and, and they're, they're a team that's just one game over 500, but their pitching is so good. Uh, I, I think that as the Angels fade, and certainly uh, maybe on our next conversation we'll, we'll delve a little deeper into the, the future of Otani, which I think will be the storyline that we're all following across baseball for the next three weeks, and then let's be honest, the next, the next uh, between now and, and the spring training about where he's going to play. But I, I really believe that the, the, the quality of Seattle's pitching is going to carry them through. I think overall Philly has played well in the stretch before the break. Uh, I like what the Reds have put together. Uh, the, the Dodgers seem to now be finding their stride. They've got a great farm system. And then I think on the opposite side, you basically had John Mozeliak all but acknowledge that his, his team's going to be a seller. So uh, I think that's a team that's really interesting. It might be hard for the Jays to pair up with them because I think they really want that young pitching, and the Jays don't have quite as much of that in the high minors. But uh, if names like Donovan are available, uh, if names like Gorman are available, those would both be perfect fits for the Jays, obviously, too. So stay tuned there. I think the Cardinals are going to be all of a sudden one of the more aggressive teams in baseball in terms of a selling posture, and uh, we've got some great pennant races ahead i just i can't wait to see what unfolds and and the mets still six games under 500 i did not expect that to happen when the season began uh ben and julia so we'll see how the mets and steve cohen respond to that still so much to be decided thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us your insight today john really appreciate it appreciate the conversation ben. I had a great talk with your dad there on sunday here in detroit so uh my, my best wishes to, to you and to him as well Thank you so much. He'll be coming on the show later today. So that'll be uh, a lot of fun. That's John Morosi of MLB Network. You hear him on NHL Network 
as well. We're going to take a, a quick step aside, but when we come back to start the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to hand out some first-half awards for the Blue Jays, and then we'll have Dan Schulman coming up at around 11.10. Stick with us. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz. This is Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hour number two of Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Ben Schulman. To my right, Julia Kreutz. Lance Kennedy, Jeff Azapardi, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. And we are continuing to look ahead to the second half of the season. A day out from the start of that second half, Blue Jays take on the Arizona Diamondbacks in a three-game set starting tomorrow. But we're going to look back just one more time. Dan Schulman coming up in a couple of minutes. But before we get there, Julia, some first-half awards to hand out. And I will preface by saying that I kind of sprung some of these on you. And I intentionally, you know, we we have our rundown here of what we're going to do. I intentionally yeah. didn't put some of or all of my answers in so that we can really be honest here. We wouldn't disagree to make good talk radio. We're not going to agree on some consensus. We're just going to see uh, how we truly feel. I'm so excited for this. All right, let's get into it. All then. Right. Let, let's start with... I think, frankly, the most exciting award in real life and maybe the most boring award for us to talk about, the most valuable player. Now, right. I'll be honest. I didn't include some sort of Cy Young award here. Right. Because I think that if you were to separate position players and pitchers, and and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think Bo Bichette would easily take it in. So I, I right. think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is really a Bichette versus Gosman debate. I, I think there are a couple people out there, and I appreciate them, who are like, it's Tim Mesa or something like that. Yeah. But uh, who do you have here as the Blue Jays' first half MVP? Tim Mesa. No, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I have Chevin Gosman as, uh, as really? the MVP. Really? Okay. I do. And I agree with you. If we were to sort of divide it, Bo wins it, and I was sort of on the fence a little bit. But... Because of what the Blue Jays rotation has gone through and the amount of, uh, you know, high leverage innings that have been put on this bullpen, the amount of times that Jordan Romano has pitched this year, it's uh, it has really made a difference to have a steady hand like Kevin Gosman, a guy that can not only, you know, get you 10, 11 strikeouts every night but who can also go six or seven innings and you see the pitch count rise and he just doesn't care right he is competitive and he is going after hitters and that splitter has been really as good as we've seen it uh this season there's certainly been some games in which either the the splitter wasn't working or the command was a bit off or whatever it may be but that's just ebbs and flows of a season and let's be honest right his lows are pretty uh, I, I, the, the highs more than make up for those um, sporadic lows that we have seen from Kevin Gosman. And so with Alec Manoa, having been through what he did during the first half, 
Kevin Gosman was the difference maker for this team, and that is why I have him as the MVP. But it sounds like you disagree. I do. I do. I'm going to pick Bo Bichette right on. Uh, for this one. And, and kind of similar justifications just on the offensive side. You know, we've seen a, a down year from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., from Alejandro Kirk. Technically an up year for Matt Chapman overall, but for the better part of the last two months, uh, a down year from Chapman. George Springer, again, for the last two months he's been good, but a down year overall on his stats. Bo Bichette has been really, if I can think of it, the one holdover that's had a clearly stronger offensive year than last year. And to pair with that, and really I think this is what cemented it for me, he's been so much better at shortstop. And I think that really was a huge deal. I think a lot of the talk, and you were around Jay's talks last year, and we were doing Jay's talk in the preseason, there was a lot of frustration around Bo because people were concerned about his defense at a premier position. But I, I think with both, you know, chasing a, a potential batting title, although Corey Seager just entered qualification, and that's going to make things really difficult, and the fact that he plays a better short, I, I, I think he has it for me. Interesting thing, before we transition to the next one, neither Bo nor Kevin Gosman are this team's leader in baseball reference war. Do you know who it is? No. Trying to think. Is it a position player? It is a position player. I, it's not Witt, is it? It is not Witt Merrifield. It is Matt Chapman. Oh. Is this team's, and, and his strong defense, I think, being a big part of that. He's built up three, three and a half, a little bit over three and a half war so far this year. Bichette right behind him. By the way, text in your thoughts on all the awards. Who's yes. your MVP at 590-590? And with that, you know, Chapman, a guy who does technically have numbers that, you know, or more than technically, has overall numbers that are stronger than last year. Let's go to our bounce back player of the year. Who, who was on this Blue Jays team last year that remains this year that you think mm -hmm. has had the strongest bounce back and the strongest positive improvement? I'll, um, I'll, I want to hear from you first. Sure. I'm going to go with Jose Barrios. Nice. I, I think there are two major contenders in this between Barrios and Kikuchi. There could be others as well. Right. But I, I think that, as you mentioned, Gosman filling in for Manoa, I think Barrios has been a huge part of that as well. I mean, he's gone pretty much right back to the guy that the Blue Jays traded for in 2021, is poised to have a career season, may throw over 200 innings, has a three-and-a-half ERA in 18 starts. He has been really as consistent as ever, which was the opposite of last year, but that was the opposite of really his whole career. So I think it's been great to see Barrios kind of get right back into his own shoes again. I agree with you. I have Jose Barrios nice. down as well. Uh, I did jot down Whit Merrifield because, just because, you know, the, after the trade, True. it wasn't necessarily the piece that, uh, that the Blue Jays thought they were acquiring, but this year he's just been phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say that Jose Barrios, what he has done, the changeup is so good right now, right? The, the, the breaking ball has so much movement in it. And so does the fastball, by the way. It, everything has been working for, for him. He has regained the level of confidence that we have seen from Barrios in, in years past. And it has, again, been a difference maker for a Blue Jays rotation that has had a ton of question marks this year. I agree with you that Kikuchi can also fall under that category and he's certainly a, a contender for for this bounce back award uh, but based on what we've seen from Barrios I, I will still give him the edge and also because 
I truly believe that we had seen Kikuchi sort of scuffle in the past, even before he joined the Blue Jays. He His second half of the 2021 season, I want to say, was not particularly good, and he was already yeah. trying to sort of uh, regain some form when he joined the Blue Jays, whereas Barrios had been straight-up dominant, and what we saw last year was so out of character, right? So I, I give Barrios the edge for that reason. So nice to agree for once. Yeah, I think that was a good choice, and I like the uh, I like the pick there with Whit Merrifield in second. Yeah. We also had someone text in. Leave your name and location, by the way. No name on this text, but they texted in Trevor Richards for bounce back player of right. the year, and I actually think that that's a great selection as well. Richards really was on the outs for a lot of last year, and, and is firmly in the rotation or in the bullpen this year, mm-hmm. and unfortunately for a little bit in the rotation as well with the Blue Jays having to throw some bullpen days. Let's move to another award here. Best Newcomer. So this could be through, you know, promotion, although there haven't been a, a ton of debuts for the Blue Jays. Huge moment for Nathan Lucas before the break. Or more likely through trade. Who has been the best or most impactful newcomer for you? Yeah, I... I <laughs> I considered writing down Nate Pearson because he is kind of a newcomer. And I would has, count that. I would yeah, count that. He has been really good out of the pen, but I have Chris Bassett down. Okay, cool. I do. I do. I think that what he brings to this rotation is something that the Blue Jays didn't necessarily have last year, stabilizing presence, a guy that can eat the innings. And yes or no, he is not going to be the most exciting starter to watch. He's not going to strike a out a ton of guys it's a it's a different type of game but what he has provided is uh is really really valuable so yeah chris bassett i was looking at you know a couple of the position players you know kevin kiermeyer's had a big start to the year brandon belt has been really important for the blue jays but i decided to go into the bullpen actually i'm gonna go with eric swanson i I think you know as arizona comes to town we're probably going to talk about that trade a lot the Seattle trade so far has worked out really well for the Blue Jays. Teoscar Hernandez is a fantastic player, but he's had a bit of a down year. While Eric Swanson has led this bullpen in inning, innings truly because Trevor Richards is only ahead of him due to those couple of opener starts that he had. He's led them in appearances. And with Jimmy Garcia taking a step back, with Adam Simber taking a step back, and others no longer with the team, Swanson has become, I think, even way more important than we thought he was going to be. So I I have Eric Swanson there. And let's do one more before uh, we get Dan Schulman on the line. I had mentioned Kiermaier, and I think he's got a pretty good shot here. Who is your defensive player of the first half? It can't not be Kiermaier. I, yeah, I, think, I think it has to he's be Kevin He's been Kiermaier. so good. He has come as advertised uh, on that side of the ball, and we have seen some amazing catches in the – in the lowered fence at Rogers Center and all of that. And I, uh, I do believe that this is not really up for that much debate. There are certainly other guys that could. Even George Springer has had a, a pretty good defensive season, made some highlight reels there, but it's got to be Kiermaier. Yeah, I think it's Kiermaier as well. And I had mentioned the guys ranking in war, baseball reference war for the Blue Jays. Right so it's Chapman, Bichette, one and two. It's Gosman, four. Kiermaier is at three, and I think maybe one of his few contenders for Defensive Player of the Year. Varsho actually does have the fifth most war on the team, even more than than Springer and some other guys right now, purely because of defensive plays. You know, I think some people would give a lot of credit to Merrifield for playing a lot of positions. He's made four starts in right, a good number of starts in left, and at second base, but I agree. It, it has to be Kevin Kiermaier, who could very easily win his fourth gold glove.
coming up this season. All right, we have one more fun one that uh, that we'll get into, I think, with our guest coming up. Dan Schulman, who I know a little bit, uh, is on the line with us. Uh, of course, the television play-by-play broadcaster for the Blue Chase has had his fair number of experiences in and around the All-Star game. But, Dad, you had the All-Star break off this time. What, what were you trying to do to get your mind away from baseball, maybe? Oh, is that for me? Oh, yeah, that's for you. you I what just you... got on. Oh, I just hey. got on. Say that oh. again. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> I was going to ask, how do you guys know each other? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, us and having these calls with technology issues is about a about a daily occurrence. But yeah, it is. Was uh was mentioning, you know, you've been around a, a good number of All Star breaks and stuff like that, but yep. not working on the All Star game this time around. What what kind of stuff do you do to get a little bit away from baseball during this time? Um, I do a lot of nothing, as you know. I'm excellent at nothing sometimes. So uh, a little exercise, a little reading, a little dog walking. Uh, You and I are going to see uh, Canada versus Kentucky, a global champ tonight. Um, uh, Family stuff, you know, nothing, nothing fancy. I'm, I'm a, I'm a boring, I'm a boring guy. I just like to, to keep my circle tight and, and just uh, mellow out during the all-star break. Honestly, boring sounds great right now, Dan, especially with the type of season that we have seen from the Blue Jays, which has been anything but, right? There have been, uh, there's been a lot of movement around this team here and, and uh, no shortage of narratives, that's for sure. And I wanted to ask you about just that wrap of the first half for the Blue Jays. Five uh, wins out of six games, uh, late comeback even, you know, after that Boston sweep. How do you think they are positioned to go into the second half that starts tomorrow against the D-backs? I think, Julia, they're positioned okay. Not terrible. Not as terrible as a lot of uh, Twitter would have you you know, uh, think they are. But not great. They're okay. So a couple of things. I think that win on Sunday was really important. Not just for the one win in the standings. But if they had lost the last two to Detroit and in the process had scored only like one run on three hits or something, you know, until, until they got it going in the ninth inning of the, of the second game. Imagine what the discourse would have been over those four days if they were another game back in the standings and hadn't hit at all in two games against Detroit. So I think if they make the playoffs and have a successful year and postseason, uh, Danny Jansen, that hit by Danny Jansen deserves a lot, a lot of credit. The Nathan Lucas double, uh, of course, as well. But in, in terms of big picture, um, you know, you got to believe the Yankees are going to get better, and you got to believe the Astros are going to get better. And if that's the case, then the Blue Jays need to get better, need to win more. So, and, and there's no question, you know, it, I, I think I'm in the camp that says, yeah, they should have a few more wins. But on the other hand, it's kind of funny. They've got a better record than they had at the break either over the last two years in a tougher division. This year is the most historically difficult division there has ever been. And they've had a tougher schedule than most of the other teams they're competing with. Their schedule, relatively speaking, gets easier in the second half. So that's the good stuff. But the bad stuff is I do think they've let some wins slip away. And if, you know, if they were 53 and 38 or 54 and 37 instead of 50 and 41, I think everybody would feel a lot better. Yeah, we looked back at, at last year's team specifically, who was 50 and 43 instead of the 50 and 41 team right now, and they were 14 and a half back of the Yankees. What do you see that's been stronger out of this team at this point of the year? And, and you know, what kind of stuff do you think they might be lacking that, that they had going at that point last year? 
So defense obviously has been stronger. That's an easy one. You bring in Kiermaier and Varsho. You've got arguably the two best defensive outfielders in the game, certainly two of the best four or five defensively. And Bo Bichette's defense has been much better. So overall, the defense on the team has been much better. The starting pitching overall, I believe, has been better. Obviously, it hasn't been a good year for Alec Manoa. But if you think back to Barrios and Kikuchi last year, you know, two guys have taken a step forward. One guy has taken a step back. I think the starting pitching overall has been better. And I think the bullpen's been a little bit better, too. You know, so the obvious area that I haven't mentioned yet is the offense, which you guys have talked about and I've talked about and everybody has talked about it. And this is a team that had more expected from them offensively. Every, everybody knows that. It's been talked about nonstop. I don't know that they're going to be a top three or top five offensive team. Uh, I don't know that that's realistic. But if everybody can just do a little bit more, they can be good enough, I think, to to compete with uh, with the best teams in baseball, but it's, I think most of it has to come from within. I'm not expect. I don't know what about you guys. I'm not expecting a blockbuster trade deadline here. I'm expecting some help, but I'm not expecting, you know, a a knight in shining armor to come in and, and, you know, hit the middle of the lineup and carry them to a a playoff spot. I think the guys they have have to have to all not, you know, some guys have done, but some of the guys who have underachieved a little bit have to step it up offensively. And I think if everybody just, is capable of doing 5% more, 10% more, I I think they'll be fine. There's two big areas I feel like that have been scrutinized from the offense, and I wonder if you lean that one matters more than the other or if it's just a mix. They haven't hit nearly as many home runs as we're used to, and, you know, they continue to not hit amazingly with runners in scoring position. Do you think one of those things matters more than the other, or like you said, it's kind of just small improvements all around that will help the team? I think small improvements all around. They they actually boosted their numbers on the road trip uh, score, and you can do that a lot. Like the twelve to two game, um, the White Sox game. I think they went like seven and 50, seven for fifteen or something like that. They had a, they had a couple of games where they did much better. So the numbers have come up a little bit. They're not great, um, but they have come up. I don't get into this much on the air because um, I don't want to scare people off. But to me, more important even than scoring position is low leverage, medium leverage, high leverage, something like that. Like, you know, you can have a runner at second in a 10 to nothing game and hit a two-run homer, and that helps your scoring position numbers. Not going to do anything to help you win a game. It's 10 to 2, or, or it's 12 to nothing if you were the team that was up, 10 to nothing. So I think even low leverage, medium leverage, high leverage, which you can find on fan graphs and baseball reference and stuff like that, to me that's even more important. And, and it's not great there either. They tend to do their best work in the lowest leverage situation. So, uh, and that's got to change. So just in big spots, can they do more? Um, I, I think that is more likely to be the one that improves than the power, to be honest with you. I'm not sure where all of a sudden a lot more power is going to come from on this team, unless Vladdy just turns it on and becomes 2021 Vladdy. You know, Springer could. He's been much better the last, whatever, two months than he was the first month, uh, you know, Chapman finding middle ground between April and, and some of the struggles he's had recently, that would obviously help too. But there are some spots I just don't see where more power is coming from. So I, I, I think they're equally important, but I think the hitting at high leverage is, is more 
likely to be the one that improves. And that in itself also will help the bullpen, right, Dan? Because there have been, mm-hmm. speaking of high leverage, that's been there's been a lot of that. And uh, if the offense steps up here, it's certainly good news for the bullpen as well. But the D-backs coming into Toronto tomorrow, uh, sort of a uh, maybe a rare matchup for Toronto fans, but we're going to see more of that now that we have the balanced schedule this year. And I wanted to ask you a question in two parts, okay? For the game of baseball, how have you felt about the the more balanced schedule and for yourself personally is there more travel that comes with it how has the uh, balanced schedule affected your job specifically okay so number one um like just as a baseball fan i love it i think it's great that you know say you're a a diamondbacks fan you know they're coming every second year you know the blue jays are going there every second year i i find it refreshing to not have to play the Yankees, the Rays, the Orioles, and the Red Sox 19 times. It's still 13, but it's not 19. Imagine with how good this division is, um, like the teams have better records because they've been out of their division more. I mean, this would be an even tougher situation. Like, I don't know that the Blue Jays could fend off the Astros if the schedule was the way the schedule was last year, right? So, um, but, but, you know, Blue Jay uh, perspective aside, I think it's great. And, and, and there's nothing between the leagues. There's not much difference between the leagues anymore, to be honest with you. And I think I may not be still be working when this happens, but you guys will at some point, it'll just be like the NBA or the NHL, I think. And we'll have two conferences and East will play West or whatever. And, and that's the way it is. Like look at the NBA or NHL schedule. You play the teams in your own division. A lot. You play the other division in your conference. Some, and then you do a home and home with the teams in the other in the other conference. All you have to do is swap out the word conference and put in the word league, and it's the same thing in baseball. So I think we're heading to 32 teams, realignment. Like, I think baseball is going to look totally different 15, 20 years from now than it does now. But I love it. I love seeing new teams and all that. In terms of work, um, prep a little more. Like some years I didn't have to prep for the Diamondbacks or the Padres or the Giants or or anything like that, but I don't mind that. Um, not at all. Travel a little more because the teams you're not seeing as much are closer to your city and the teams you're seeing on the road that you wouldn't have seen are farther away. So it's like an extra West coast trip and all that. But again, to me, I don't mind that to me, that's a small price to pay for more interesting baseball and a fairer schedule, a more balanced schedule. Yeah. It is interesting to think about what the future could be because baseball, you know, somewhere in the, uh, in the ballpark of like 150 years old and just 1996 was when interleague play started. And now right. that we're, we're so far, you know, past that to a more balanced schedule, that more balanced schedule brings, you know, one of the key blue Jays back into Toronto, Lourdes Gurriel, who was huge for them over the last couple of years and, and such a big part of the clubhouse, just, you know, for the guys that came up with Lourdes played with Lourdes for so long. What do you think it's going to be like for, for the bows and Vlad's and everyone else getting to see right. him again, not to mention the fans. Uh, well, I'll tell you first, uh, back to the last one, just for a second. If you guys are really bored one time on a plane, I was really bored and I drew up with two expansion teams to get to 32. What I thought the divisions would look like once they do this, that's how bored I get sometimes and how much I'm into baseball. And I'm pretty pleased with it. I have to say <laughs> on my computer and I kind of like, I it's, it, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to see the blue Jays, in that kind of a division. I've got Detroit in there. I've got Montreal coming back. I don't know if that's going to happen. But anyways, uh, back to Lourdes. I think here's what's going to happen. So um, I would imagine it was on the international broadcast of the All-Star Game. Not the, It must have been, not the Fox broadcast, where you saw 
Vladdy and Lourdes playing rock, paper, scissors across the dugout. So um, I think that gives you a pretty indication of what it's going to be like. Certainly Vladdy, probably more than anybody else on the team, misses Guriel. Everybody knows that he and, and Guriel and Teoscar Hernandez were, you know, the three musketeers and were always together. Lourdes um, not only was a very, very popular guy, I think he was kind of a, a sneaky, very well-respected guy. You know, we didn't think of him that in that way or talk about him that way, you know, when we talked about leaders on the team. But I think there was an aspect of, of him that, that existed uh, in that regard. But mostly you think about, you know, the hair and the, and the smile and, and all that. And, and there are going to be hugs. Like the days of no fraternizing with the enemy, those are long, long gone. And, and tomorrow I'm sure we'll have our cameras on the field watching Lourdes hug everybody, and you'll see it, you know, well, the, the guys will uh, clip it and we'll run it in uh, during the game. And, you know, imagine if he, you know, when he gets a base hit and he gets to first, he and Vladdy will be like wrestling each other at first base for all we know, you know. So um, it'll be fun. And, and he's having a good year. He really is. And, and that's good for him. He's heading into a free agency situation. He's made the most out of it. I'm sure he's very happy. He seems very happy from everything I've seen, and uh, it'll be a nice reunion for everybody. And I don't, I don't know if they'll do anything on the – they did something for Teoscar, right? They did a little video. I don't yeah. know if they'll do – yeah, I don't know if they have planned anything for Guriel, so I'm curious about that. Yeah, I, I, I was going to ask. It actually segues pretty nicely into my next question. Uh, are you ready to revisit the, the Dalton Parr show trade? And, uh, you know, just as we are right now and as we – gear up to, to get into that series. How do you sort of remember that Christmas EV trade and, and how do you think it's worked out for both teams here? Right. I remember thinking, well, they got, they got a guy that they really wanted to get a left-handed bat, a versatile guy, a great defender, a great base runner. And he is all of those things. I thought he would hit more and I still think he'll hit more um, than he does. Um, I'm not ready to revisit the trade in terms of passing judgment on it. I think that would be, uh, that's not me. That, that, that's a rush to judgment. I know it's been three and a half months or whatever, but, um, you know, not to get too, uh, uh, analytical about it, but they traded six years of Moreno and one year of Guriel for four years of our show. The Guriel part surprised me. I'll be honest about that. And all I know is all we know from Ross Atkins, which he says, uh, you know, Air, um, Mike Hagan, I believe is his name is Arizona. Um, you know, their GM said, we need to get something back on the major league roster in the outfield because we think we're in a good place to contend this year. So he said they, you know, demanded Guriel in, in order to make the trade. I don't think by the end of last year, to be honest with you guys, that Moreno's um, stock was quite as high as it was. Like there was a moment there where he was, top one, top three, top five, whatever it was. He was still a very good prospect, but I, I think it had fallen a little bit by the end of the year. Um, but right now, obviously, the trade favors Arizona. I mean, that's that's clear in in, um, in what's happened so far. But I, I think that can change this year, and I think it can change long-term. And I do think, um, you know, at, at the risk of people rolling eyes here, I do think even if he's not hitting, Dalton Varsho brings some unbelievable things to this team defensively and base running that aren't as easy to calculate or find on a website if you don't know where to look or that sort of thing. But uh, I do think he's been an important addition to this team, and I do think he'll hit more. I mean, he did have a, a big play on the bases on that Nathan Lucas double coming around yeah. to score for the Blue Jays in the Tiger game. And, and you know, I'll, I'll be cautious to not to duck from the spears overhead when I mention that <laughs> Dalton Varsho does have a, a higher baseball reference war than either of the two guys they traded away now combined they certainly have a have a higher one than him. And you mentioned the years of control. So there's kind of a lot 
to that yeah. trade. Uh, one thing that we're looking at as the Blue Jays head into this Arizona series and forward into the second half is how are they going to potentially rejig the rotation? What what could they come out with? Specifically, of course, with a focus on Alec Manoa. If you had a guess or if you were doing it, what would you put in place here, you know, to best set up Manoa and the team going forward through this pretty tough stretch? Yeah, uh, well, you have an off day on the Monday. So, um, you know, whoever doesn't pitch in the Arizona series, the two guys they choose for the San Diego series are going to have even more rest. So I think the first thing you've got to decide is who needs the rest. Um, I don't believe they've announced anything yet, but I'm assuming Jose Barrio starts the, the first game. He's, you know, if you roll back, he's five, five games ago. So I assume that he's going to start. Um, I want Kevin Gosman pitching as much as Kevin Gosman feels he can pitch. Um, you know, if it gets down to the end of the season, you don't want to have Gosman unable to pitch in the last series of the season or something like that. You know, at the same time, we all know his numbers on four days rest and extra rest. And we know he didn't go to the all-star game and he's pitched a lot of innings and all that, but now he's had, you know, two, three extra days of rest. So I'd like to see him. I hope he's in that Arizona series as well. Um, and the other thing, and I know Ben, I've heard you talk about this on the air and you and I've talked about it off the air. Do you split the Manoa and the Kikuchi spots? If you think those are the most likely spots, maybe to not give you, you know, consistent length in a game, because then you don't want to wear out your bullpen back to back. So my guess could be something like Barrios, Gosman, one of Manoa or Kikuchi, and then Bassett and the other. And then the big question, of course, is, is Hyunjin Ryu coming back? And it, so far it looks good. And if he comes back in two weeks or three weeks, which is realistic given the way that he's been ramping up, I think, then what? But, um, you know, we don't deal with then what's now because a couple of things will change between now and then what, and it'll be a whole different conversation we're having. Dan, you spoke of Hyunjin Ryu, perhaps one of the most sneaky, um, cool personalities of this team. Yeah. And uh, before we uh, before we had you join us here, Ben and I were handing out some um, first half awards, but we left the last one to ask you first. So, this is the this is the, the the question here. What was your favorite quote or personality moment from a Blue Jay uh, in the first half of the season? Ooh. Don't want to put you on the spot because no, I know all, that there's well, you a just lot. Did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know because when when Ben asked me, I will say that one jumped to my mind right away. So I knew what my answer was right away, and I wonder if you also have that uh, ready to go here. Hmm. Well, a moment, yeah, a moment I'm thinking of that I remember that was fun, and I don't remember where it was. I think it was at home. This is this is a moment. This isn't a quote or a personality, but it's a moment. Kevin Kiermeyer hit a home run and got back in the dugout and was just kind of going down the line, and then Springer hit the next pitch out, and Kiermeyer was like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And jumped over and saw and jumped over the railing because he loves to celebrate and, and got in on that home run, and and that's when you saw. You know, so it was a good moment and some fun in the dugout and, and all that kind of stuff. I am loud. I'm, I don't know if I can help you here, Julia. I am loud. What was it? It was a quote or a or a personality. Is that what you were you were yeah. saying? The moment. I, yeah. I think you qualify. Yeah. You know, like Kiermaier celebrating oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that qualifies. Definitely for sure. And uh, yeah. and that's kind of the uh, the the beauty of this question, right? It's like what comes to mind right away when you think of this first half and. 
really moments that we saw sort of the humanity shine through a little bit uh, more so than the baseball players. So that's a yeah. great one, Dan. But you know what? I'll tell you, though, sometimes like my favorite Blue Jay when I was young was Willie Upshaw, who probably was the quietest guy on those Mosby, Bell, Barfield, uh, Fernandez, you know, all those, those those great teams of the 80s. Sometimes I kind of really like the quiet stuff. Like I, I root for Tim Mesa like crazy, like crazy. I mean, a guy out of Millersville University, a Division II school in Pennsylvania. We all remember him blowing out his arm right at the end of the 2019 season, didn't pitch in 2020. You know, nobody ever talks – who talks about Tim Mesa? Right? Like, I root for Tim Mesa. I root for Danny Jansen. I root for Santiago Espinal. You know what I mean? Like when those guys have moments, um, those are some of the, the most fun moments for me. Like the stars are going to get their moments, but I like when the guys who don't get as much attention – have their moments, even if they're understated about it when it happens. Yeah, we we kind of had of our first half season MVP. I threw Mesa in as like the sleeper. He's not actually the the MVP. Probably we we had Bichette and Gosman respectively, but yeah. Mesa has won them more games than I think uh, people might remember if you go back and look at it. Thanks so much for coming on, Dad. I'll uh, I'll, I'll see you a little bit later today and uh, enjoy the last day of the break. All right, guys. Thanks for talking with you. Appreciate you. That is Dan Schulman, Sportsnet Television play-by-play broadcaster for the Blue Jays. We may as well get to our favorite quotes and personality moments. And and by the way, text in what you think for all of our awards. If you weren't with us before, it's 590-590 to text. We did MVP. We did bounce-back player, so a carryover player that's had a stronger year. Best newcomer, be it a rookie. You could put Nate Pearson there if you want him or a trade acquisition. And we had defensive player of the first half. So if you want to practice how to spell Kiermaier, you can always text that one in as well. But uh, what's your favorite quote or personality moments? You did a good job explaining it. I, I tried to, to put it out in words. I wasn't exactly right sure how to how to say it. But, yeah, what, what's your favorite? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because I do think that uh, it's always cool when you get to see those guys' personalities shine through a little bit more. For me, and I was actually covering the Blue Jays in that game, it was Blue Jays twins. It was a home game. Okay. And they won 7-6. Yes, a comeback the, the win. Kevin Biggio three-run homer. Precisely, to avoid a sweep. And it was a start when Kevin Gosman struggled, right? One yeah. of those where he struggled. And then someone asked him post-game, where were you when the Blue Jays started to rally back? He said, well, I was in the training room. And, you know, I, you know, obviously we're very superstitious as ball players, And so I did exactly what it was that I was doing. And shout out to Ian Harrison from the Associated Press who asked, well, what was it that you were doing? And Kevin Gosman says, I did have a beer out. I'll say that. <laughs> Some nervous sips. But yeah, we kept it going. So I had to open another one. And then he called it Rally Beers. And to me, that was just uh, phenomenal. A guy that doesn't mess with superstition. No, I like it. And I, I think that many baseball players through the history of time have had superstitions that involve opening another beer. So yeah, I, yeah. I think that, that that's a good one. Mine, um, I did like, uh, this is like my, my runner up, kind of similar to that when Danny Jansen hit the home run. Uh, John Schneider was quoted with just so many words I can't say in the middle, uh, saying that essentially right when he hit it, he just turned and shoved Pete Walker, which I think is a very funny thing to do. But I'll go to a a quote we got in print from your college page, Lecky, at uh, MLB.com. This was when all-star voting was going on, and Mm -hmm. Shohei Otani was 
by far leading the finals against Brandon Belt at this moment. And Brandon, this is his direct quote, quote, yeah, that's how you know it's rigged. I should be number one. <laughs> Everyone knows that I'm a better hitter than he is. Better DH, better team leader. But here we are, end quote. I, I don't know if we knew, even, you know, I've watched Brandon Belt a lot mm -hmm. for the Giants, but I don't know if all of us knew the personality that he would be coming in. And I think that's been a really fun surprise, the kind of dry humor, you know, the MVP chance that he makes for himself sometimes yeah. and just just the general fun that Brandon Belt brings into the dugout. Yeah, it's uh, that has certainly been one of the biggest surprises of 2023. It's been really, really cool to watch. He is hilarious. Yeah, it has been uh, an awesome addition to this team. Thank you again to Dan Schulman for coming on and John Paul Morosi. We still have... About 25 minutes to go in Jay's Talk Plus. We are going to take a break. Text in your thoughts on the awards. We're also going to go over some baseball bucket list items and stuff like that coming up on the other side as we wrap it up today, headed toward noon on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. She's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman, and this is Jay's Talk Plus. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially when you consider that Hosley's two for two with two doubles, an RBI, and a walk-off. Dustin Baber with a barrel, but foul! Caught by a fan! And that's your ball game! A laser beam from Justin Baber. What a play by that young man. And the Nanners win five points to one. And the entire team going out there to swarm the fan. That is why you bring your club to a ball game. Game ended by the fans. The Bananas win it 5-1. Are you kidding me? Look at our hero tonight. That was the finish to the Savannah Bananas game yesterday. Still some baseball going on as we are in the final day of the All-Star break. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. She's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman. So we'll get a little bit more into that as we talk about our baseball bucket list. But the Savannah Bananas, among many very interesting rules, uh, one of them is that if a fan makes a clean catch in the stands, it's an out on a foul ball, and that's what happened yesterday to end the Bananas win. That is incredible yeah. baseball. I love it. I did not necessarily know that this existed, but I'm obsessed. Yeah, the Bananas, uh, among that, they have, you know, two-hour time limit, which I think Major League Baseball is getting pretty close to there Take at this note. point. Uh, no stepping out of the box, which is, you know, more pitch clock stuff. If you step out in between pitches, it's an automatic strike. No bunting, and this is this is their explanation. We have the rules up. Their explanation is no bunting. Bunting sucks. If a hitter bunts, they're ejected from the game. That's the whole rule oh my God. in the rule book. There are no walks, no mound visits. <laughs> uh, there's a very interesting kind of showdown tiebreaker where, you know, it's kind of like in college football, their overtime is you just start on the 25 and you try to score. This is, you know, you start with the bases loaded, uh, and there's it, – it's – also kind of a bench warmers thing where there's a pitcher, a catcher, and one fielder. So uh, it, it's a lot of fun over there, <laughs> what yeah. they're doing. And I'm hoping at some point, I've never been to a Bananas game. I, I have caught the Harlem Globetrotters once. Right. I'm hoping at some point, 
that the bananas come north of the border too, because I don't believe they've toured in Canada before. Uh, and that, you know, maybe even if they don't come north, that maybe I could travel south and see them at some point because uh, they are doing a lot at those bananas games. Yeah, it sounds like, like you said, sort of like a globe throttle situation, but uh, on the baseball side. Yeah, yeah. Which we need a, more of. For sure, for sure. It's it's a it's a mix of baseball and theater in a way, I think, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, we got... 15-ish minutes to go in the show, and or 15-ish minutes till noon, about 10 minutes left here. Just quickly before we get to our bucket list, some okay. texts in about uh, the awards. Ian from Guelph says, of course, Kevin Kiermeyer is the defensive player of the first half. However, I think Bo Bichette should also get consideration in this category as well, based off of his improvement. And he mentions, you know, the one big mistake. Uh, I happened to be on the call for that game. It was quite... Quite sad, the uh, the throwing error to end the Philadelphia game. But I think Ian has pointed out that really, other than that, you can't point to many times where Bichette, especially with the arm, which was such a big focus, uh, has been on the wrong side defensively. Russ in Mississauga agrees that Brandon Belt is best personality, likes the dry humor, the MVP chant. Uh, no name text, no location here. Send us your name and location, 590-590. Favorite quote was, uh, Whit Merrifield's, I need a foot rub and a beer. Uh, which which I think everyone does most of the time. Wow, that's an incredible quote. And then here's a good quote that, you know, we uh, we went maybe a little bit more on the comedy side, but this is a good quote, I think, more on the serious side. Paul and Seth Frontenac, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer saying before the year that he'll be the best nine-hitter in baseball, and, I mean, through more than half the season games-wise, I think that's been pretty true for Kevin Kiermeyer, who continues uh, to hit really well and play great center field. Yeah, he's been such a good number nine hitter, in fact, that we are starting to see him uh, move up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if, you know, some fans have pushed for him to go to the leadoff spot. I'm not sure that will happen, but, you know, maybe swapping in for that left-handed hitter seven hole that we've seen a little bit in the eight hole as well. It's been fun for Kiermaier to have, you know, maybe one of the best offensive years uh, of his entire pretty long career at this point. Let's get to the bucket list, though, before we wrap it up. The Savannah Bananas on my bucket list for sure, but let's stick in Major League Baseball for now. So many different and unique ballparks in Major League Baseball. What what are some of the non-Rogers Center parks? Are there some that you've been to that you really enjoy around Major League Baseball? Haven't been to a ton. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've only been in North America for like five years. Fair. So I haven't had, and two of those years were COVID years. So haven't really had a, a chance to explore all that much. Uh, it was awesome covering the ALCS uh, last year. So I did get to go to Minute Maid Park in Houston and Yankee Stadium in, oh. uh, in the Bronx. Those, those were two very good ones, I think, to, uh, you know, get me going in a way after Ryder Center, of course. Minute Maid Park surprised me, uh, not just because of the park itself, but sort of the environment and everything that they built around the CS and they've had their experience with postseasons, obviously, and just the the motif, the uh, the environment, the energy, the attractions that were not necessarily baseball related really got to me and the food, incredible, incredible ballpark food. So Minute Maid Park has been a good one. I think that the next would probably be San Francisco, oh, it's right? Maybe my favorite park. In you all have baseball. to, right? Yeah, you it, have it's to. incredible. And Pittsburgh, of course. PNC's beautiful. It's right up there with Oracle Park in San Francisco there too. You go. San Diego's a really nice one. Um, well, you mentioned that you know you only got to North America a, a couple of years right. ago. Major League Baseball is announcing the full schedule for next season mm-hmm. uh, coming up today. 
at 1 p.m., but they've already announced the international kind of mm. world tour games. So there will be, you know, the games in uh, Seoul coming up between the Dodgers and Padres to open the season. The Mexico City Series continues with the Astros and the Rockies. The, the Seoul Series in late March the Mexico City Series in late April. The London Series continues with the Mets and Phillies uh, on June 8th and 9th, and then the Dominican Republic Series with the Red Sox and the Rays March 9th and 10th. Those are spring training games. Have you been to any unique places outside of Canada and the U.S. that you really uh, got to watch some good baseball? For baseball, no. Okay, um, what about other sports? Let's let's put it down. Yeah, I mean, you know, the World Cup was in Brazil, and that was awesome. Oh, that's, I mean, that second was, to none probably in seriously. live events. And the World Cup coming to Canada pretty soon. That's right, yeah. that's right. And I'm also a huge fan of whenever MLB has um, international games. I for do sure. think that that is so important for what the league is trying to do in terms of, you know, growing the game and really bringing in different types of fans to the experience. So I I love that. But just to go back a little bit to to ballpark experiences and what it is that we are looking forward to. I know that you have a lot of experience with uh, with major league and minor league ballparks, but is yeah. there one that's still on the list for you? So there are a couple I, I've had, the, you know, the privilege of, of traveling around with my dad a little bit, um, you know, to uh, I believe it's 27 of the, of the 30 major league cities. So I'm still missing Seattle, actually, which I think is the main one I'd like to hit. It's a really hard place to travel to really yes. far away. Uh, Arizona, who's coming to town tomorrow. And then Kansas City, one I, I'd really like to go to as well. I think of the ones I've seen that we haven't mentioned already. Did I say San Diego? San Diego is beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's a great ballpark. Um, but I am a bit of a sucker still for the classics. Like, I would take an experience at Fenway Park kind of over anything. When right. when they first, or when, when COVID had obviously no one, especially in Canada, really went to games for a long time. And I was working uh, in the Cape Cod Baseball League in southern Massachusetts, and so the Red Sox were playing at home at that point. By the way, the Cape Cod League, too, a very unique and, and great experience uh, in terms of ballparks, these tiny little parks with these huge, massive college stars that are about to become, you know, high draft picks and, and so on. And going to see my first game in two-something years at Fenway Park, the Blue Jays were there. I believe they won 12 nothing or something like that. It was 2021. Vladdy hit a monster homer. I, I'll, I'll kind of take... Fenway Park and, and Wrigley Field I like, but maybe just a, a hair below Fenway, pretty much over anything else, I have to say. Fenway is when they do Sweet Caroline, you know, you're in this tiny cramped seat. Right. It's super uncomfortable, I'll be honest, but it, you just, you always feel like you're in a piece of baseball history every time you're at Fenway. You actually feel like you're part of it. Yeah. Like you're part of something that is bigger, regardless of whether you're a fan or not. That's uh, that's quite nice, and it kind of um, brings me to my next question for you. You have seen 27 of the 30, a ton of experience. Is there any other location, another country, or another city that you would still like to watch a baseball game in? The, the biggest thing that I would love to do is go see a game in Japan. I, I just think that you watch the highlights on Twitter. You see the games when a lot of people were watching those during COVID when Major League Baseball was shut down. And the environment is so different. Like, I almost liken it to when you see, you know, European basketball or South American basketball or something like that where it's the same game, but there's so many unique customs to both 
how it's played and how it's watched. The environments just seem awesome in Japan. And if I could get to go see a game there or in Korea or even, you know, go see Dominican Winter League games, something like that, that would be fun. But I think Japan is at the top of my list. How about you? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I love Asian baseball in general, Japan yeah. or Korea. It's uh, it's a fascinating thing to, and it's kind of hard to to follow it because of the time zone and, and the differences there. But I would agree with you. I do think that from what you hear from uh, you know players that go over there and come back, Japan is very much a, a culture of. Um, focusing on the trade and on the craft and being extremely disciplined. Whereas in Korea, it's more of like a show, right? Yeah. It's a oh, spectacle. The bat flips, there the you celebrations. Go. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So I'm very excited. There will be a Seoul series, like you said, in South Korea next year. I'm very excited about that because it's going to be a completely different environment for uh, major league players. And so... That's kind of something to look forward to. And For I would sure. I would love to watch a baseball game either in Japan or Korea as well. But just to, you know, be contrarian a little bit, I think that uh, I put South Korea at the top of my list. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I'll, quickly, we have about a minute left here. Uh, a, a great prompt here from our producer, Jeff Azapardi. So I had talked a, a couple of days ago about being at the bat flip game. Is right. there a moment in Blue Jays history that you were not at that you wish you could have been at? Yeah, I think that, you know, I wasn't even born yet, but the Joe Carter. Yeah, um, uh, that's fair. Right? That is a that is a historic one. And, and not only to be there, but I wish I was a journalist in that press box and having to, to actually cover that game. How about you? Mine uh, is one that our last guest, my dad, actually was at as a fan by happenstance. I'll go with Dave Steves' lone no-hitter in Blue oh, Jays history awesome. in yeah. Cleveland in 1990. That would have been great. Blue Jays still looking for number two. Hey, maybe it comes up tomorrow. The Blue Jays starting a series against the Arizona Diamondbacks as they start the second half. A lot of fun again today, Julia, and can't wait to do it tomorrow. Appreciate you tuning in today to Jays Talk Plus. If you missed any of the show, available wherever you get your podcasts. She's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman, Jeff Azapardi, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. Stick with us. A whole lot more coming up on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.